Welcome to this episode of American Scientist's podcast series. I'm Sandra Ackerman, senior editor of the magazine. College-level courses in biology often portray the living world in terms of hierarchies and linear actions. Individuals compete within a species, predators feed on their prey, and so on. Outside the classroom, though, the living world is much messier, because so many of the life forms in any environment are constantly interacting with one another. Karen Babian, an artist and a biology instructor at Bucks County Community College in Newtown, Pennsylvania, has found a visual format that encourages her students to see and think about these all-important interactions. Here she explains why the mandala, a Buddhist or Hindu graphic symbol of the universe, lends itself so well to the teaching of biology. When I'm looking for a topic to uh, teach about, I reflect back on some of the material that I've gone over in class, and I look at it and I think I've talked about it, it, it makes some sense, but students memorize the words and then don't make the connections. And so I chose most of these based on trying to introduce topics that I found very difficult to convey through the kind of textbook and media experience that students have. So I look for things that have um, that are interrelated. So evolution and ecology became sort of like the foundation network for me to build the ecosystem Mandela's around. I chose ecosystems that I was personally familiar with, that I lived around, uh, which is deciduous forest, wetlands, and that I always observe flowering plants and pollinators. And those were my starting ecosystems. And it isn't limited to ecosystems or evolution, but every story is complex in biology. And whatever I take, I now find it fits into the Mandala schemata very well. My favorite ecosystem to draw is the wetland. I love wetlands. I love marshes. I like bogs. I love all the organisms in them. When you're growing up in a certain area and you can access these ecosystems around you and you see them disappearing rapidly, then the stories you knew when you were a child or that you studied become really personal. So I love the beauty of a wetland. Almost every biome an ecosystem is absolutely beautiful. So I started stuff that I like to sort of trudge through or just sit around and hang out in. There are a lot of ways to look at a mandala. It was meant to be a whole brain experience. And what I mean by that is I really like to teach to the evolution of our own adaptations. On one hand, I'd be doing a biology lecture and talking about the intricacies and the details which the mandala helps me illuminate and the relationships. Then I asked uh, students in my audience to meditate on the mandala, the central image and work their way out or the corners and work their way in. I'm interested in the way our eye moves and how it relaxes our brain and activating a parasympathetic nervous system when you're viewing these because that enables you to enjoy not just the experience of learning, but the experience of connecting with the characters in this story that you really should care about and that you really should get to know better. They're fascinating. Any way you want to look at it is good. Some people start with the details and work to the big picture, but I focus the central images on key topics and ideas. So if I am talking about the beginning, I can start in the middle and move around and vice versa. But it is a whole cycle. I would break my experience down into my so-called linear brain and my more holistic right-thinking brain so that I could feel those characters and connect with them.
For an example, if you're looking at the predator uh, mandala, you can start in the center and you'll start to see the larger imagery. If our eye always focuses on the bigger images and then we start to break it down into the details. And that's another way that I would want my audience to approach these and view them, to say, okay, how are these things connected why is this at this level and that level? But if you understand a little of the biology, you can look at it in that way or you can understand it in terms of the pattern. So in the predators, I have the lynx and chasing the snowshoe hare at the center are a really important apex predator conservationist character who really regulates the ecosystem. Yet the hare is, in fact, regulating the apex predator when you look closely, you can see them fading into each other. That's significant. It shows they're interdependent, that one becomes the other, and the one and the other are the same. It's really a complementary relationship. We've been taught so much that everything is domination, everything is losing and winning and competition. I find these systems, when you see them interconnected, reveal complementary patterns and relationships. And when you approach the fine details, you see them also. In the Predator one, I have some of the stars and moonlit night, and at the bottom you'll see one of the original ancestral combinations of mammal and reptile, and out of its mouth are coming all these different forms from saber-toothed tigers to marsupial lions, bear dogs, fading into the starlight. And to me, that's another interesting concept because Everything on this planet is from the planet, formed in the solar system and in, within the universe. And that's another big topic we can reflect on in the details. When I go to create a mandala, I kind of start with a blank slate. My focus is uh, mostly geared towards natural things. Um, even if I'm in a city, I'm geared towards flowers coming out of cracks and pavements. I'm always looking for living things. I let my emotions take over because part of being inspired to do any of this has to do with you caring a lot about it. Then I start thinking and reading and delving into the material that has been written about these organisms and looking at different perspectives and looking at what we don't know about interdependency and what we don't know about network. I start reading journal articles and I dissect them and think about, does this make sense? I look at the shapes and the forms of the organisms. I draw them, redraw them. I look at my own cats. I look at birds. I look at animals that I know already have these patterns in them. They're just not the same, but they're similar in many ways. I might go to an aquarium and I might just sit and hang out and look at the grasses and study them and take notes. And then I start to internalize it. I'll make sketches and diagrams of how I want this laid out. It's really just a blueprint because it seeds itself and it makes itself happen once I get started. I really couldn't explain the creative process except that it's a lot of your own connections and it's a lot of what nature does. It's a lot of making those connections within yourself and with other living things and feeling their stories. But usually it just starts to flow. It starts to creep like a slime mold across the log and starts to take over and it gets a life of its own. A lot of people don't know how this actually works or how you do stuff like this. It's not really very linear in itself. It's a lot of connections. It's a lot of feeling. It's moving between the analytical and your emotion and how you internalize things. And that's why in the article I did emphasize drawing because the drawing really does something 
to you. It transforms you if you let it. It's fun. It's a fun thing to do. Erasing a mandala is interesting. I erase all my artwork whenever I'm in the classroom. It doesn't stay around for long. Erasing is a good feeling. It tells people that there's a transience to living systems, that form is mutable and transmutable and changes and is not going to stay the same. And that's one of the hallmarks of a creative, active, dynamic, interconnected system. Things move and ebb and flow. The erasing is a good lesson for us. It's interesting that we live in a throwaway society that throws everything away and then consumes more. That's not really the way nature works. Nature's highly conservative, but equally transformative. Forms don't last, but they're able to merge into other forms and become other things. And that way there is nothing wasted. That's what's cool about a chalkboard. It lets you convey that idea without even explaining it. I use them to teach, so I'll take a piece of a mandala, I'll redraw it, and I do it for anatomy and physiology as well. It just lets you realize even your own body is not going to stay this way. That transformative, able to move into other characters and become new things is the biogeochemistry of this earth, and it's a really alchemical thing. It's an amazing thing, and we need to appreciate it more. So racing is a good thing. I can make on demand as long as I don't have too many, and I would estimate maybe maybe an hour to maybe an hour and a half a day, two hours a day. But that's with the caveat that I sketch these things all the time. I'm thinking about them all the time. You can't do that if you're not thinking about them. In a month, I can complete one. When I go into a classroom, I have to draw fast. I would say I could spend maybe 20 minutes laying out an entire board and it's just because I've gotten used to drawing those forms, and that way it's ready when students walk in. So you feel like you're giving your good attention to these living things. You may not be physically making a difference out there, but you're giving them your good energy, and that's what I want students to feel like. Give them your attention first, and then the rest will follow. People often are somewhat shocked that I erase a lot of the drawing I do because we tend to be attached to things. I don't mind erasing it, but I teach at a junior college level and sometimes some graduate level stuff, and I show them, and sometimes it's overwhelming to see it all at once. My ideal intention is to see a school that would have an art gallery of biological art like the Biology Mandala, and students could go and have their lecture in the gallery, in the exhibition room. And you would have a garden outside that had many of those flowers or plants in it to have students go out and sketch and draw them and come in and view that as a gallery and walk through it and meditate it and really get into the experience of viewing it. They like it. They even try to draw it. I encourage them to draw it because, like I said, it gives your good attention to this organism. And simultaneously, it slows you down. And the drawing slows you down and makes you aware. And slowing down is really important. It develops your skill of eye-hand coordination, lets your body and brain relax into what you're learning. And good learning is slow learning and awareness. I'm helping them stabilize themselves for the learning experience in general, not to be impatient, because we're all in such a hurry. I encourage anybody, and it says in the article, to draw. I really think biology and art go together really well, and caring about living things is what good biology teaching should make you do, 
or help you to develop. And so that's the other reason I made them. They're not just ecosystems of the planet. They're ecosystems within our own bodies. Our ecosystems and micro worlds and macro worlds are connected. So all of that, the micro-macro perspectives, the the right brain, left brain, uh, volleying back and forth is all a critical part of being a learner that really gets deep meaning out of their experience and a lot of fun too. This Pizza Lunch podcast was produced by web managing editor Katie Lee Corder. American Scientist magazine is published by Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Society. The music is Spot by Ardent Octopus, courtesy of Mevio's Music Alley. For more podcasts and other multimedia content, visit our website at americanscientist.org slash science. Thanks for listening.